Well, what I want to do first is um, I'm going to read off the screen 21 verses. And I'm going to read it. You can just watch it, but I want to ask you to stand as we read the scriptures. Give your attention to the side screens. And we're going to start with Job chapter 1. Here we go. In the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. Circle those two words in your mind, blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons, three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people in the east. That is a key statement. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned or cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless, upright, a man who fears God. He shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked them and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the serpents, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down your camels, and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and your daughters, they were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them, they are dead, and I am the only one who's escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, then he fell on the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Be seated if you would. There is no other subject inside the Christian faith. There is no other subject outside the Christian faith that has caused more headaches and more heartaches than pain and suffering. I know that every time there's pain and suffering, you and I probably ask ourselves the question, why? Why is there pain and suffering? Well, sometimes there's pain and suffering because I've sinned. Sometimes there's pain and suffering because you've sinned. 
Sometimes there's pain and suffering because we live under the fall, and sometimes there's pain and suffering because God is trying to prune us or maybe discipline us and use something for His glory. Let me repeat those four real quickly. Sometimes there's pain and suffering because I've messed up. You know, I've done something foolish, or I've done something sinful, or I did something to cause me to lose the college scholarship, or I did something to cause me to to lose the job. Or I did something that caused me to, to have distance or, or maybe, you know, a divorce. I, I did so, I, sometimes there's pain and suffering in your life. And let's be honest, we've caused it. Three of you agree. <laughs> the rest of you are in complete denial, all right? Sometimes I've done something wrong. Sometimes you're a complete innocent victim, but somebody else's sin has greatly impacted and deeply impacted your life. If you were sexually molested, you didn't cause that. You didn't do that. Some evil person did that unto you. Somebody else's sin has impacted you. Perhaps someone's drunk, and you're at a stoplight, and you're just minding your own business singing a Christian hymn in the the car or something, and somebody just slams into the back of you, and you get hurt. Somebody else's sin, sometimes it's my sin, sometimes it's other people's sin. Sometimes it's just because we live in the fall when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said when you do this, there will be sin, sorrow, and death. And sin, sorrow, and death entered the world when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sometimes I think God's trying to, to prune us or to leverage our pain and suffering somehow for His glory, because it isn't all about you, and it isn't all about me. It truly is all about Him. Do you remember about a month ago when I told the story about the lawyer and the stripper? I knew you'd remember that part of the story. <laughs> and so I had permission to tell the story, and he said to me, he said, 25 years ago, he hooked up, you know, with the stripper, and she got pregnant, and she asked for $200, and forget, get an abortion. And so he did something that day, lawyerly, that's a word, and he made a thousand bucks and he cashed it, had a thousand dollars in his pocket. And so he goes to pick her up and he said to her, I'll give you a thousand dollars not to have the abortion. He said, only $200. He said, I mean, you don't understand. I'll give you a thousand dollars to have this baby. They never got married, but I told you the story a couple of weeks ago that this 25, his 25 year old son that she had graduated from medical school two weeks ago in Cleveland, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio. And he said to me, he said, you never know the consequences of a great decision. Isn't that a good statement? He said, you never know the consequences of a great decision. Right after that illustration, I walked down here right after the service, and there was a lady down there, big tears, and she said to me, I've made my decision. Great. She's crying. I don't know what she means. She said, "Um, I'm pregnant. I've been thinking all week long about getting an abortion. And she said, I'm pregnant with twins, and I got my answer today. She said, I'm going to have these babies. She said, but I'm alone. Yeah, it's a good story. It's an awesome story. She said, but I'm alone. And so I'm looking down here on the front row, and there's still two prayer partners down here. And providentially, one of the prayer partners is about six or seven months pregnant, and I think it was their first week of ever being prayer partners. And I went and got them and got them with her, and the three of them got together. I turned a foot 
And I go to the next, I'm just, I'm just a foot. And there's another lady, that I don't know her either, and she's got big crocodile tears. And she said to me, would you pray with me? I said, sure. What's wrong? She said, my friend has 10 days to live. And we prayed. I walk out of here. I'm going down the hallway, and a friend of mine introduces me to another friend of his and the family, and the friend's just been diagnosed with a, with a pretty serious disease, and we're over there in, the, in that hallway crying and praying for the families. I mean, like in three minutes, boom, three different contexts, three different families, three different situations. Everybody in this room's going to suffer. Everybody in this room has gone through, if you're over, you know, about 20, you've gone through some kind of pain and suffering. And the point is, what do we do with it? How do we respond to this? Now, what's so amazing to me about Job is the Bible then, that last verse of that last chapter, has such a telling statement about Job. Here's what it says. In all this... Job's just lost his sheep, his cattle, his donkey. He's just lost his children, seven sons, three daughters. It says, in all this, Job did not sin by charging, it's a legal term, by charging God with wrongdoing. What is the primary purpose of the book of Job? Well, in Job, the next chapter, we see that Satan and God have another conversation, and now Satan is allowed to attack his body, and Job gets like the worst case of shingles. It's like shingles on steroids that you could ever imagine. And he's, in, he's infected by his, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet with boils and sores. And his wife says, Job, for goodness sakes, curse God and die. Just curse God and die. And here's what Job says in chapter 2, verse 10. He said, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And the book of Job will have several different people making charges against Job and against God. And the point is, well, I guess because you're having trouble that you must have sinned. And the answer is, that's not true at all. So let's first of all just put the story in neutral. And if you've got your notes, you've got your bulletin, I want to give you four different pieces right now about when suffering is harmful. Because not all suffering is what we like to do. How do we suffer well? First of all, I want to go, I want to go south and talk about when suffering is harmful. Here, here are the first four. Number one, suffering is harmful when we become hardened and we reject God. That's what Job's wife did. Job's wife got hardened. Job didn't. Number two, suffering is harmful when we refuse to be open to any changes in our lives. Maybe God wants to use your suffering. Probably God didn't cause it. Most likely God can leverage it for the kingdom of God. Number three, suffering is harmful when we withdraw from the help others can give. You know, what's really interesting is most people want to help you when you're going through some kind of pain, right? Most people want to lean in and get in and, and, and yet I've observed in my 30-some years that a lot of people just kind of want to isolate, shut down, hunker down, close themselves off, and won't accept the help from other people. And I'm not really sure why that is. I don't know if that's pride. 
I don't know if you were raised like I was in a hardworking Midwestern mentality that you're just, you're independent. I don't know what it is, but it's harmful. It's destructive. It's not helpful. Number four, suffering is harmful when we accuse God of being unjust or we just accuse God of being non-caring. Now, Ravi Zacharias, have you ever heard Ravi Zacharias on the radio or watched him on television? Great theologian, great preacher. Ravi Zacharias, he's Indian, was Hindu, and it's now sold out, committed follower of Jesus Christ. Ravi Zacharias says that the, the, the point, the whole point, he thinks, of the book of Job is that Job is trying to get an audience with God. If Job can just present his case before God and tell God how good he is and how righteous he is and how blameless he is, then God will go, oh my goodness, I forgot about that. I didn't see that. I missed something. Surely you're such a great man. I will take away your suffering. And what you find in the book of Job is we already know Job was a righteous man. We already know he didn't suffer because he was a dishonest man. He was a righteous man. There was nobody greater than Job. He was the greatest man in all the East. But now we've got the three friends. And these three friends are coming to Job and going, Job, well, the reason you're suffering is, is you've, you've, run, you've run out on your wife. You've committed adultery. So you've, you've, you've betrayed somebody. You've cheated in business. You've not paid your employees. You've done, Job and the three friends, chapter after chapter after chapter, are telling him that he can't be righteous and still be suffering. You can't still suffer and be a righteous man. And Job's going, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I haven't done anything foolish. And if only I could get in front of God. If only I could just plead my case before God. And so here's Job's, we get a little snapshot, trying to get an audience, maybe even like a court case, if he could pre- present his case before God, the judge. So here's just a couple snippets of that, Job chapter 13. Here we go. So Job says, but I desire to speak to the Almighty. And to argue my case with God. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. For no godless person would ever dare come into his courtroom and stand before your honor. Listen carefully to what I say. Let my words ring in your ears. Now that I've prepared my case, I'm going to present my own case before God. This is Job. I know, I know I will be vindicated. Then summon me and I will answer, or let me speak and you reply to me. How many wrongs and sins have I committed? He's trying to get in front of God's court case. Show me my offense and show me my sin. If only I knew where to find God. If only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. And I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No. He would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him. And there I would be delivered forever from my judge. And so what is Job saying? All this pain and suffering in my life is just somebody got their wires crossed. I I shouldn't be the one going through this. If I can just tell God, he'll take all this pain and suffering away from me because I'm not saying God's made a mistake, but I'm just saying maybe God fell asleep at the wheel. That's what Job's kind of saying here, right? 
Well, let's push a little bit neutral again on Job. And I want to give you four more points now about when suffering is helpful. Because there are times when suffering is helpful. I want to give you four of those right now. Here's the first one. Suffering is helpful when we turn to God for understanding. Where else is she going to go? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Where else is she going to go? To one of your meathead high school friends? I mean, where are you going to go when you got problems? I mean, where, where else? What's the source? I shouldn't have said that. What's the source? Okay. Number two, suffering is helpful when we ask important questions. Am I suffering because I've sinned? Am I suffering because somebody else has sinned? Am I suffering because of the fall? God said the day you eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, sin, sorrow, and death are coming. Or, or am I suffering because maybe he's going to leverage my suffering and use it for the kingdom of God? Number three, suffering is helpful when we use our pain to help others. There are some of you in this room, and you think about this, who, who better to help somebody that's going through a divorce than a person that's gone through a divorce? Who better to help somebody who's gone through the struggles of infertility than a couple or a family that's gone through infertility? Who, who better in this room is better to help somebody that's lost a, a young child or an, an, an adult child to, to death? Who better in this room is better to help somebody who's got a child that's gone through drugs or alcohol, who better in this room is able to help somebody who has aging parents with dementia and Alzheimer's and all kinds, who better to help you? That's what he's trying to say is, is use your pain to leverage your pain to help other people. Now, if you're going through a divorce, I'm not the best person to help you. If you've lost a child or I'm, if you've got struggled with infertility, that's not been our deal. But if you guys struggle with the fear of failure, I'm your guy. I have struggled with the fear of failure pretty much my entire life. And I am so driven, and I'm not sure always if I'm driven because I'm afraid the fear of failure or if I'm driven because I want to do this for the kingdom of God. There are times when I, I so if you're struggling with that, I, I'm your guy. But there are other areas in, in your life that I am not the best person to help you. And so what am I saying? Your pain can be leveraged to help other people in the kingdom of God with all the different issues that we're all going through. Number four, suffering is helpful when we allow others to assist us in our time of need. And I, I kind of already alluded to that. When you're hurting, about the only thing we can do is help you. When, when you're hurting, we can send you a text and give you a scripture verse. When you're hurting, we can make you a meal. When you're hurting, we can pray for you. I mean, I would encourage you not to shut people out during your pain. Shutting people out doesn't help you, and it really won't help them uh, either during that process. Well, okay, I want a court case with God, Job is. I want to stand before your honor. I want to tell your honor you know, I'm a good guy. 
I'm righteous and blameless. I'm the best man in all the East. I got my life together. I've not run, I've not run off with the sec- secretary or the you know, waitress at Chili's. You know, I, I, want, I want you to know, God, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good guy. And so God then hears this enough. <laughs> and for four long chapters, God answers. And oh, baby, does he answer. Here's what he says. Job 38 says this. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. That ought to be a clue for you right there. A storm is coming. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? I love God's sarcasm. It's biblical. Sarcasm is godly and biblical. You can use it, folks. You can use it. He says, maybe not in marriage, but in church we can use it, all right? He says, brace yourself like a man. You know something's coming when God says brace yourself, right? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know, Job. Hear the sarcasm? Who stretched a measuring line across it? Who shut up the seas behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? Job, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me, Job, tell me if you know all this. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Who let the wild donkeys go free? I mean, he's he's just pulling out all the stops here, isn't he? God's just going to get it. He's showing up and throwing up on Job right here. He said, who untied its ropes? Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you trust it to haul in your grain and bring it to your threshing floor? Do you give the horse its strength, Job? Or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God understand. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no, but I have no answer twice. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. That's what he's saying. And God says, uh-uh, big boy. You asked for this. Bring it. Here's what God says. Chapter 40. He does this for four chapters, four long chapters. God does this. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you. You will answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself. Again, don't miss the sarcasm. Job, if you can do all that, then you adorn yourself with glory and splendor, and you clothe yourself in honor and majesty. I love this, folks. I do. It's awesome. Look at what he says. And so Job realizes he didn't really have a clue what was going on. Let's answer four quick questions. There are four questions that need to be answered whenever you're going through suffering. 
Question number one, am I being punished by God for sin? When I'm suffering, am I being punished by God for sin? Well, you might be if you're outside of God's will. If you're outside of his good and perfect will, you very well may be being punished by God. It's the consequences of sin. Don't be deceived. You're going to reap whatever you sow. So what do you do? You get back in the will of God. And 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, you confess your sins, and he is faithful and just, and he will forgive your sins. And so what do we do if we are outside of God's will? We confess our sins. Number two, question number two. What do you do when you suffer? You ask, is Satan attacking me? In the church world, we call that spiritual warfare. And so what do we do? Well, again, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. You call on God for strength. And you ask God to give you the strength to be able to overcome that which is afflicting you. The devil, if you're not going to give in, he's going to go on to somebody else. So just hang on is what the Bible says. Number three, is my suffering a result of the fall? I think probably a lot of our suffering is. There's sickness. There's diseases. There's things that happen to you that maybe you had absolutely nothing to do with, but because of this fallen world in which we live, I mean, we're all going to die. The death rate is, until, unless Jesus comes, the death rate's one out of one. It's 100%, right? So, it may be. Number four, will I get answers? You will. You will get answers. But I don't think we're going to get a lot of the answers on this side of the curtain. I really don't. I think this side of the curtain, we don't get all the answers. I think on the other side of the curtain, we get a whole lot of answers. Well, I want to um, tell you a story today about a dear friend of mine and my other prayer partner, he and I have alluded to this friend as a modern-day Job. We've called him that several times. And the man I'm going to tell you the story about was in the first service, and our other prayer partner, he's in the room right now and just shook his head at me. But you know how you read a story about somebody in a book, and you go, that's a good story. I hope it's true. That's a really good story. I wonder if they exaggerated it. You know, am I the only one that thinks like that in the, in the room? Okay. Well, this is a story about somebody that I have known now for over 12 years. And for the entire time that Denise and I have been here at Harborside, this man and his wife have been very much involved in our life. Incredibly gifted man, civil engineer, commercial real estate. He's helping us with the wedding chapel. He's been doing all the permits, and he does all the land stuff. And we're about just a couple weeks away from getting the whole thing started, and I'll tell you about that in just a couple weeks. We're just about there. But he's donated all his time for that. Incredibly gifted man. He's had two different cancers. He's battled prostate cancer for 19 years. Then about three years ago, his wife uh, had breast cancer, and she went through a whole bunch of treatments. They've had some family issues, some, some things going on inside of their family. And so this is not somebody that Kent Stickler and I know about. Kent and I know this third guy in our little prairie. We know him deeply and intimately. And I talk to this man two to three times a week. We pray together. This is one of the dearest men in my life. And so I asked him, I said, can I use 
a little bit of your story. And because he's a civil engineer, you know, we preachers are big picture. These engineers are detailed. He wrote it out. I said, this is like candy. This is great. So I want to read you what he said. He said, Kurt, there are better examples of faithfulness during suffering. I'm not sure that our family is the best example. I'm reminded of the suffering that our brothers and sisters endure at the hands of militant Muslims. There have been times when we were so overwhelmed that we just felt helpless. We've tried to keep the wolf of hopelessness outside our home, chained to a post in our backyard, as it were. But sometimes the wolf broke free and came inside our home. Life has not turned out the way I expected it to turn out. But I do not think that God owes us anything. He has already provided the greatest gift that could be received, and that is forgiveness of sins, a new life with Jesus, and a secure eternal destiny. You hear what he's saying? More than anything else, this guy's saying, Jesus has provided forgiveness of sins, a new life with him, and a secure eternal destiny. When a new trial arises or when I get another health setback or an unfavorable medical test result, it has helped me to remember that I am already dead in Christ. If I'm already dead, then I don't need to worry too much about what cancer can do to me. He said, these trials have changed our perspective about life. It has brought my wife and I closer together. We don't have disagreements over petty things. We now have the perspective to think about the bigger issues. After eight lifetime surgeries for me and seven for her, little things just don't bother us much anymore. That's a sermon in itself, isn't it? We accept that God's ways are inscrutable. That is, God's ways are beyond my ability to scrutinize and to analyze. I don't know what he's up to all the time. And I certainly don't understand his plan. Sometimes it's an enigma. I accept that I am time-bound and he is outside of time. I need to keep my role as one of his creatures and let God be the creator. To do otherwise would be for me to usurp his role and authority. A huge no-no. Suffering has a good way of revealing whether or not I will trust the Lord obey him even when things are not going my way. Suffering has a way of revealing the true inner condition of my heart from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. And he said this. He said, suffering has increased my compassion and mercy for other people who suffer. I can really understand what they're going through, and I can encourage them. And then I want you to catch this. He said, you can leverage your losses to become more effective in ministry. You ever thought about that? He said you can leverage your losses to become more effective in ministry. For example, in addition to helping patients, I have met research doctors that I never dreamed I could meet, and I've gone places that I never thought possible. Without having an MD degree, this man knows more about prostate cancer than just about anybody in the world. And he said this, so although, so although we are brokenhearted, I only have to remember two things. Stay committed to the Lord and continue to do good. 19 years, two cancers. A wife, seven surgeries. I only have to do two things. Stay committed to the Lord 
and continue to do good. He said it's critical to trust the Lord's sovereignty and His love for us during hard times. There's a good quote from Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Here's the quote that this man wanted you to know. He said, all the water and all the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. Nor can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets inside us. The only serious mistake we can make when illness comes, when anxiety threatens, when conflict disturbs our relationships with others, is to conclude that God has gotten bored in looking after us and has shifted his attention to a more exciting Christian or that God has become disgusted with our meandering obedience and decided to let us fend for ourselves for a while. So what my wife and I believe about God will make or break us. And he said this, we choose, those are two of the most powerful words, we choose to believe that he loves us and that he's working out his eternal plan. The key for us is to stay in the word, the scriptures. For example, Psalm 119 verse 92 says, if your law had not been, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. I I so respect my friend. I, I so respect Job. But I stand in awe of Jesus of Nazareth. I so respect my friend's attitude. I so respect Job's ability to work through this. But I stand in awe of Jesus Christ, our Savior. My friend and Job did not choose to suffer. My friend and Job did not want to have a life of suffering. But but our Lord, your Lord and my Lord, he knew that his entire destiny was to give his life on a cross. And so your Savior and my Savior went to a cruel Roman cross. He allowed himself to be stripped. He allowed himself to be flogged. He allowed a crown of thorns to be slammed on his head. He allowed a bunch of ruckus men to spit all over him. Our Lord went to the cross and shed his blood for me and for you. I stand in awe of Jesus of Nazareth. There has never been anybody like Jesus. There will never be anybody like Jesus. And that's why every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, you can do it willingly or you can do it by force, but it's going to happen. Everybody's going to bow and everybody will profess that Jesus is the Lord. I stand in awe of what he did and who he is and what he's capable of doing today. I can't explain your suffering. I can't explain all the suffering in the world. I cannot connect all the dots. But I choose to believe. I choose to live. I choose to walk. I choose to be obedient. I choose to give my life for the rest of my days to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to honor him with everything he has in his life. And that's what we get to do. We get to serve a living God and do the best that we can on this earth, and we'll know everything, we'll get all the answers, and all the dots will be cleared up, but today it's by faith. It is by faith. There's empirical evidence, but it still comes down to this huge step of faith.
And will you choose to believe today? And so I want to give those of you in the room who have never given your life to Jesus Christ the opportunity this morning to say yes. And then I want to give all of us in this room an opportunity to pray for your suffering that will leverage it for his glory. And so I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. And first of all, for those of you in the room that, you know, you've never made a profession of faith. You've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to say this prayer out loud. And in your heart, if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, then you inside of yourself, you you repeat these words to yourself and you repeat this uh, to to God. So let's pray together. Father God, we come today, and and my brothers and sisters, I, I come today to give my life to you. I acknowledge that you are the Savior of the world. I acknowledge that I got sin, that I got a sin issue. And I thank you for forgiving me of my sins and for receiving me into your eternal kingdom. I am in all of you also. And now you're my Savior as well. And for the friends in the room, oh, Father God, This is a tough world. It's a brutal world. May your Holy Spirit give us strength, give us courage, give us power, give us passion, give us vision. May your Holy Spirit enable us to leverage any suffering, any pain, any trials, any tribulation for your glory and for your honor. And we pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus.